This is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're talking to our good friend Troy Cooper about how churches are becoming catalysts for movements in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A swarm training. I had five other other trainers and leaders, catalytic leaders from four different cities in the U.S. come and, and join me because we had five different churches that all were leading um, four fields training at five different locations uh, in the, on the same weekend, okay. and um, we had a mix of. Some churches, it was their, their third touch of training, and so we were there to watch them. Uh, some churches, it was their second touch of training, so we were there to just to help out their training team. And some, it was their first touch. And so we, we modeled the, the whole thing. But um, it, was, um, it was amazing. For example, uh, Cedar Ridge Church in Sepulpa. It was their third touch of training. They had six trainers, and 100% of those six trainers had come to faith within the last year. They were the ones leading the train, 100% of the train. Daniel Reese was just there to watch them and give them feedback. And so there, these, these newer believers are training other believers how to make disciples. And what gave them such credibility to do it is for the last you know four to six months, they've been out in the harvest every week engaging lostness, sharing the gospel, discipling the fruit, and starting groups in homes. And uh, they're already seeing uh, third-generation disciples. In fact, at this training, I've never seen this happen before, but at this training, um, one of the trainers there, her second-generation disciple was there, and that person baptized a third-generation disciple at the training. There's actually five baptisms that happened at this training at Cedar Ridge and Sepulpa. And uh, so we're seeing um, not just, you know, pre-existing mature believers training and pastors training and elders training, but they're releasing it to the new believers. And those new believers are now training other believers how to make disciples and uh, start groups and churches. Uh, so that, that was one example. Um, you know, at another church at, at Cedar Ridge and Broken Arrow, we had, it was the second touch of training, and we had a team, a swarm team of six, and Malachi, my 11-year-old son, and I, we oversaw that team, and, and one of the associate pastors helped, and the lead pastor was actually supposed to train with us, but he got the flu, so he was out. So my 11-year-old took that lead pastor's parts and, um, and trained that. Um, but you had folks that, um, you know, you had a couple that's in their 50s. That you know, a sales guy uh, and, a, and a, another woman that's working a normal job, and, and they said for the first time, we really see God can use us. Um, that that we can we can not only train people, but we can go and make disciples. Um, we had a woman that's a, a gym teacher at a Christian school. She got up there and she knocked it out of the park. I mean, she she was an amazing trainer. And one of the associate pastors there also was training with us. Um, so the training was phenomenal. But as part of our training. We send people out in the harvest, and people came back from that time. You know, they went out and uh, you know knocked on some doors, and you know we, we did a Luke ten two house of or Luke ten house of peace search, and um, they offered prayer. Just simply went out with armed with the question: uh, If God could do a miracle in your life, 
you know, what would it be? We'd love to pray for you. We're just out here to love and serve the community. And um, the majority of the homes that answered were willing to receive prayer. And a number of them heard the gospel. And, uh, and so they came back from that, that time. You know, they leave the training terrified, but they come back from the, you know, the, the encounter out in the community. And they're just like, I can't believe people were, people were receptive. You know, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Uh, we had one man who, he is the husband of, of a woman on the missions committee. And uh, he did not want to go out. Hmm. Uh, and he was um, almost irritated, like, I can't believe you're asking us to do this. And I got, you know, I need to go take care of the bees. And um, and he came back and asked if he could give a testimony. I was like, okay. And this is a polished, you know, high-level leader businessman, you can tell. And um, he stood up there with tears in his eyes and talked about how, moving it was to go and to pray for this man. And his, this man opened up the door for Nigeria, welcomed him in, allowed him to pray. And uh, he said, man, the harvest is plentiful. So, you know, people like that discovering for the first time, like, wow, these people are just waiting in the harvest. Um, there was a, another, uh, another camp. So that was um, there were three Christian churches. There was three uh, Southern Baptist churches that all worked together, led by a guy named uh, Tony Svensson. He and two other lead pastors. They led training um, at New Life Church, where they have a vision to engage a thousand homes around their community. And uh, they had seven different churches represented at this training. Our, our goal as catalysts and trainers is to raise up indigenous training teams. I mean, the whole goal is to is to raise up local leaders. And so we, uh, from Jeff Sundell, you know, three touches of training and we roll ours out over th- over six to nine months. And, um, and we're asking at the end, would these churches commit to be uh, a training and mobilization center? And because we've helped raise up a, an event training team, we've helped raise up a house of peace search and follow-up team. And, um, and we've hopefully given them some vision for no place left. So our ask at the end of the trainings is, you know, for being a mobilization center, would, would you commit to leading a, week, uh, a training, an event training every one to three months? Because that be, creates an on-ramp for people in the community, not just in the church, but for other churches and people in the community. Uh, and it gives the trainers that we've raised up an opportunity to train. Uh, the second thing is, would you commit to lead a, a weekly a House of Peace search team where it just, you know, the apostolic guys, are, it, it charges them up and fires them up to be able to go out in the harvest. And, and so we're seeing churches lead, you know, like on a Wednesday night where they've got Awanas and different things. They've got a team that's going out in the harvest, catalyzing movement. Um, in fact, at Cedar Ridge, each of those House of Peace search teams were started by the pastors and elders of that church. You know, the lead pastor, Greg, he said, well, if we're going to have other people do this, we need to do this. So he had all the staff and elders go out. So they've got a weekly team that's engaging the harvest. And then they have a, we ask for a, a weekly uh, rollout of the discipleship piece, the commands of Christ. And then the last thing we ask for is, would you uh, draw a radius around your church building to say that, you know, whether it's a mile or two miles that, 
that we are going to commit to get the gospel to every one of these homes in the next year or the next two years. We learned that from a church plant in West Palm Beach or in Jupiter, Florida, Steve Scalisi. They planted a new church down here in, in October, and uh, he was messed up by Acts 19.10. Um, you know, the, the Ephesian church got the gospel out to all of Asia, 8 to 15 million people in two years, every resident. And uh, he read that and said, we're going to get the gospel out to every home in a two-mile radius in the first two years. And uh, so that's like 12,000 homes. So, yeah, those are, the, those are the four things we're asking for at the end of Three Touches. Will you host an event training every one to three months? Will you lead a weekly House of Peace Search team in the harvest? Will you, will you facilitate a, um, a, a weekly rollout of the commands of Christ, the discipleship piece? And will you draw a radius around your church adopting a no-place-left vision that you're going to get the gospel out to all those homes? And uh, that's our, our ask for them becoming a training and mobilization center. What do you do to prepare the way for the first touch? We, we just kind of apply the, the person of peace principle, you know, looking for that God-prepared uh, person to to the pastors in the churches. We're, we're praying and looking for a pastor or church of peace <laughs> in that community. And uh, and what we're what we're looking we're looking for, as we've seen a number of examples, um, is they have they are number one they are broken for lostness. Um, they are you know for example I'll use First Baptist of West mm-hmm. Palm for example. Um, they were just absolutely broken for the lostness around ninety six percent unchurched. You know, in Tulsa, uh, this church, um, of 800,000 lost people around them, broken for lostness, and they're not, they're not reaching them. So is there a burden for lostness there? The second thing is, do they have any kind of a God-sized vision that's beyond themselves? Um, in West Palm, it was, you know, 100 new churches. Um, in in uh, Tulsa, Cedar Ridge, it was a thousand new disciples that they wanted to see God make, and uh, that's it's a church of eight hundred. Um, so there's this God-sized vision that's beyond themselves. And I would say the third really important thing is that there's a there's a humility there, and that they are actually wanting to learn. Hmm. And um, so. If we can find the, because because we're not trying to sell what we're doing, we're not trying to. Um, I'm not just as far we don't charge anything, but I'm saying as far as like we're not trying to convince people, hey, you should be doing this. It's we're looking for where God is working, and those are the indicators for me as far as movement wise. That when we find a pastor that's broken for lostness, God says, uh, hungry to learn, then then we can come in, and I feel like our role as catalysts is to, to serve them like crazy, and we can do that through training and coaching, and to, um, to pray for them like crazy, because um, this, I mean, those relationships are fragile. You've got to really pray for what's going on there. And uh, the third thing is to learn from what God is doing. I mean, for example, what we're seeing happen in Tulsa, I mean, we're, we're all in the front row taking notes because look at what God's doing here. <laughs> you know, how do we learn from this so we can apply it to other cities? Mm-hmm. So if we can identify that, um, in each of the cases with a lot of the churches we're working with, um, you know, our team, we say we go hard after the harvest and the churches have just started to come to us. And it's not because we're like sitting high, like, oh, they should come to us. It's more um, they're hungry enough that they're they're coming to us. We're not trying to go to them. And it becomes kind of a filter for us. Okay. And 
how do you prepare a church like that for the first touch? What what do you do with them to get them ready? I mean, we all know how to run events, but what's unique about how you get them ready for that that first touch? Oh. Well, I think really spending some time making sure that the leadership understands what our 30,000-foot view is. I feel like it's my responsibility to – and that the lead pastor has signed off on this. The lead pastor um, is – uh, at least is aware of what's going on. I mean, ideally, they're behind it. But I think we need to communicate them what our strategy is um, as far as the four fields so they can see where this is going. Um, I, I have found that there's usually three entry points in a church where they're, they're itching for training. Um, one is disciple-making, and they're usually exploring different evangelism or discipleship tools that are totally unrelated to one another. The second is church planting. Hey, we're interested in planting churches and they're exploring. Um, they'll typically outsource this to somebody. Um, and then the third one is missions mobilization. They just have got a heart to mobilize people to the nations and they're usually looking to outsource that too. And, uh, but when I look at the Bible and see what happened in the book of Acts, I think if you start with Disciple making it leads to church planting, which leads to missions mobilization. It's I mean Acts one eight. It's the Great Commission, and that's what I love about the four fields process is we equip people to make disciples who gather to form healthy churches to mobilize you know disciple making church planting missionaries, hmm. and so we can go in with a church where they're at, and so you know for example. Um, in West Palm Beach, it was, hey, we want to plant 100 churches. And so we went in to talk about church planting, but we immediately went back to, let's talk about how to make disciples. Because how you make disciples impacts how you plant churches. Well, what's been amazing, Steve, is not only are they making disciples, and not only are they starting new churches, their vision is to start 16 churches from their existing churches. They've got third and fourth generation churches being started this year hmm. out of a legacy church. But a year and a half ago, they didn't have a missions department, to my knowledge. Now they've got a full-time staff guy in the missions team, and they're pursuing unreached, unengaged people groups in Central and South America. And so I just marvel as they have, you know, we've gone in with the church planning, training them in disciple making. God is opening up the doors and mobilizing. It's God's heart for the nations. Hmm. So, um, and, and same where... We had one church um, that said, hey, we want to we want to mobilize missionaries to the nations. OK, well, let's come in and let's talk to you about how to mobilize the right kind of missionary. And so we go bring it back to disciple making and church planning so that we can send um, catalysts. So so I think making sure we 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 had figure out where they're at and what their what their need is for training and uh, just being patient with the process. But let the lead pastor, let the elders see what our process is and where this goes. And and I think if, when they see that we genuinely have a heart to serve them and that we're willing to go at the pace of the Holy Spirit through their leadership, mm-hmm. then we know what our training should look like. And um, so I think that's a key piece is really uh, communicating with leadership and helping them see what we're doing. The second is once we figure out what's, you know, we, are we looking to make disciples? Are we looking to start churches? Um, then uh, we, we meet for just a couple times online to uh, to go through 
what the training is going to look like. And, um, you know, especially if we're coming in from another city, um, you know, we'll like, we're doing some trainings down in Grenada, but we're meeting with that lead pastor and some of his leaders ahead of time to run through some of the basic tools, like three circles and the follow-up and Oikos map just to, to try to get them using those tools. So you, you're not just going over it, but you're actually, you do some training of them online to get them ready for when you, you train publicly. That's right. If they've got the time for it, we will. Mm. Uh, we'll try to, we'll try to, um, try to get some folks utilizing it ahead of time Yeah, uh, as best as possible. And, uh, it hasn't always worked out that way. Uh, sometimes we just show up and train, but we do ask them, to commit, I feel like we have a high enough demand and we've seen enough rate of return on this is that we ask them to commit to three touches of training over three to six months, mm. or I'm sorry, over six to nine months. And, um, and you un- unpack with them, you know, here's the purpose of the first training, second training, third training, where you want to go with this. Mm-hmm. So they already, the leaders already know ahead of time that um, what the training will be about and what the next steps will be. That's exactly right. Okay. And each each tr- touch of training has a couple different components. And we're Steve, we're just following the the mall principle for raising up leaders model, assist, watch, and leave or launch. Um, and so the first round of training is a model. We come in and our our team, and that's why we call it swarm training. We if you can help it, instead of having one or two people, try to get a number of folks together to to uh, to lead the training as a team, mm. because then they see a team up there leading, and you've got people that have different levels of of skill and experience, and so it helps to see somebody that's a little shaky up there, because then they can start to picture themselves being a part of that team. Um, so we'll come in and we'll model uh, in a you know a level one, level two training, giving them the basic skills for how to make a disciple. Um, and that's anywhere from a Friday slash Saturday to, you know, a one day. Um, and, and each touch of training has two components. One is the event. And the second is the weekly rollout. Uh, we really believe it's the week to week rollout of the training that really gets to movement. But the event training becomes an on ramp for people and an opportunity to help raise up trainers. So for example, um, we went in on uh, in October with the Tulsa or September October, and it was just a soft touch of training with the pastors and elders and and a few key people in in the church. And um, I did just like a basic level one, how to share the gospel, um, and we took them out in the harvest and uh, and then um, came back and debriefed. And it was actually just supposed to be a vision meeting. It wasn't supposed to be a training. But they took what I gave them, and they began to roll it out. They started going through the commands of Christ on Wednesday nights. They started taking a training team out in the harvest on, on Thursday nights. And next thing you know, out of this, out of this church, you know, led by pastors and elders, you're seeing people come to Christ, and these stories start bubbling up within the community. And so we, we were scheduled for January, April, in July, three touches. Well, it was like, okay, this January training is now a second touch hmm. because we've already got people on the ground that can train. So we show up in January and uh, I meet with their trainers on the fruitful trainers on the ground the night before and we run through the training and practice. And 
we get up there and their people did 80% of the training. I mean, on the, on the assist part, they, they got it. Hmm. And, uh, but the, the challenge was because they had, this is coming from pastors and elders in the community. We had seven churches there with seven lead pastors. We had over 250 people at this, at this massive training. And, uh, so which is, which is awesome because all these people are getting trained. They're going out in the harvest. But the challenge is if this thing continues to, to blow up, how many people are comfortable training in front of 250 people? Hmm. And, um, and, and it can just seem like it's just one church that's doing this. So that's why we made the decision. I just threw out the idea, hey, what if we roll this out at multiple campuses next time? Okay. Um, that's where you've got to help bring in other catalysts from the outside to help out. So second touch of training, we did the event, and then they did the four- to six-week rollout of the Commands of Christ afterwards. And then we just went back for the third touch, and we just we just watched them, you know, at one campus or at two campuses. And uh, now they've got a solid training team um, on several campuses. And now those teams are helping train other churches in the city because my whole goal is that, you know, we come in to help get it started and then we remove ourselves. We just continue on in a coaching and mentoring relationship. So that's the local leaders and teams that are the ones that are rolling us out. So most people in that city don't even know who we are. Hmm. They know no place left. Um, that's the banner they're flying under. And they know there's a number of pastors and churches in the area that are doing this. Steve, the other thing that blows my mind about what's going on in Tulsa is we've got multiple denominations that are working together under a vision to see the city reached with the gospel. We've got neo-charismatic church that's connected to an entire global network. They're connected with the 24-7 prayer network. We've got a network of Southern Baptist churches. Um, the Southern Baptists have actually, uh, the local association is funding four catalytic positions to train in four fields to pursue no place left in that city. They've never met me once. They don't even know who I am. It was the local guys that saw that happen. And, uh, and then the network of Christian churches that, is, that are there. And then there's all types of other churches that are getting behind this. But, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen churches unite around maybe hosting a, a, an evangelism event or crusade. I've seen churches gather to, to maybe, um, you know, do some type of meet a physical need within the community of building a house or something like that. I've never seen it where you've got a number of churches of different denominations and the whole initiative is how do we equip and mobilize our people to make disciples within the community? Mm-hmm. And, and a few of those churches are already at a point where they're like, we want to start new churches, mm-hmm. not just, not just start discipleship groups. So, I mean, <laughs> we can't make this up. We're, uh, we're just kind of marveling as we're watching this unfold. But I think the three rounds of training over time with the, key, with the lead pastor buying at the beginning was key hmm. because it's allowed you know, the time for these trainers and practitioners to develop and rise to the surface so that when we come back for the next round of training, it's, all right, who are the doers? Because those are the ones that are going to help with the training. And each round of the training, it's just the same basics. That's right. Uh but the difference is uh, this is the opportunity for those who've been trained to step up as trainers, to bring some new people into the room, and, um, and then following the training, 
you've got just go over those those three things you want to see launched following a training event those ongoing things that you're really looking for what were they again yeah, yeah we want to see we asked that would they be willing to host an event training every one to three months with the training team that they've raised up um, and that just creates an on-ramp for people in the community um, the second one is weekly rollouts would you do a weekly house of peace search and follow-up team and a weekly uh, commands of Christ discipleship training. So basically, you know, a T for T group where they're uh, they're meeting weekly, going through the commands of Christ, and just and cycling through those. The last one was, and we asked them this probably between the second and the third touch, but we say, would you adopt a no place left radius around your church building that you're going to get the gospel out to every household in that community, or at least look for the people of peace and establish them to help get the gospel out in every household in that community. And it, it's not the same people doing each of those three things. Um, I think you, you've said that you help them identify uh, key leaders for each one of those three follow-ups. Is that right? That's right. And you see there's some people, like I would say the general on the ground, that's the other thing of three touches is, you're not just looking for positional leadership. You're looking for, for, for functional leadership. You know, who, who's the person that people are following, not just because of their title, but because, you know, they're the leader. And who, and again, we're, we're really looking for, you know, in Ephesians four, uh, we're looking for apostolic little a apostolic leadership on the ground. There's, there's two types of people in there that we're identifying. We're identifying the the pioneers are the apes that are really wanting to hammer the harvest. And so they love the house of peace search. And then we're identifying the shepherd teacher folks that have a heart for movement and they tend to gravitate to the discipleship piece. And then we've got a mix of those two types of people at the training. Um, you know, cause not everybody's gifted to, to, to sit up and stand in front of people and train. Um, so yeah, we're identifying between those two types of folks, the apes and the PTs folks that are comfortable training. So yeah, that's exactly how it plays out. So you got this harmony of, of apes and shepherd teachers from the church working together to pursue movement within the community. Because quite honestly, you know, once you activate the, the, the apostle, prophet, evangelist type people, they love hammer on the harvest, but sometimes they're terrible disciples. And your shepherd teacher type people are, are not so eager to get out in the harvest, but man, they are phenomenal disciples. Well, Discipleship is what gets to movement. So we need those shepherd teachers involved. So this is a way of including both uh, giftings of people together pursuing movement from, from one church. And we also now have a community of practice um, among the, the pastors of those churches. So, you know, we're, we're starting a—I'm going to—usually I'll facilitate it over, over Zoom— where we'll meet together and then just kind of hand it off. And a lot of times when we're in the city, we'll, we'll say, Hey, you know, let's get a lunch together, uh, you know, while we're there and gather those paths. So we did that. We met on Friday and, uh, just cast vision, encouraging what we're seeing and stress the importance of you guys need to lay down your agendas and come together and, and pursue, you know, to, um, pursue no place left together. So they agreed to meet once a month, um, use, use them basic, you know, three thirds format to, uh, care for each other, hear what God's doing, uh, provide some training either, uh, from the inside or from the outside of that group 
set some goals and move on um, to the next, you know, to the next month. So we've got this community of practice among the pastors. I think the other thing we're really looking at, and it's happening at each of the campuses, is that we would form these apostolic bands at each of the different churches. And I would say we've got that. So we've got a layer of pastoral leadership that is unified, pursuing no place left. And we have catalytic bands, apostolic bands at each of the churches, pursuing no place left. And if there's any gaps at any of the locations, um, that's what we focus on with the training. When we come in and see, okay, you're not there yet. Let us help you find your apostolic band and establish them. Then the different apostolic bands will minister to one another. They'll shepherd one another, encourage one another, and train one another. So we've already got a mid-level training scheduled in July. And now we'll be able to go back and do iron and iron and, and gather all those apostolic bands together to sharpen one another. Our hope also is because we modeled mall, we hope that they'll continue. You know, The whole reason for the, the monthly uh, event training is more and more people starting to gain momentum. More and more people will get equipped and trained. And then more and more people will go out and harvest. And uh, they can accomplish the vision of seeing the 800,000 lost people at Tulsa have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. Well, I think there's two things we're learning. One is the vision for the city and just trusting the work of the Holy Spirit that he's doing it and not trying to rush ahead or force it. Um, I think learning from what were some key things that were already on the ground there, um, I, I've discovered that they have, there are some active prayer initiatives that are happening in that city. Uh, we just kind of discovered that this last time that we were there. There's several uh, 24-7 prayer rooms there. There's like a, a Tulsa prayer uh, initiative. And so I think that has played a role in what God's doing in that city, and God is just answering those prayers. Um, but I hope that you know we can begin to learn about pioneering in, in other cities. I mean, Chuck Wood and I were looking at a map of North America and just identifying, you know, where are the gaps? We're seeing God do some exciting things in some major cities, but when we're talking Jeff's vision of 5550, you know, 50 major cities in the next five years, where are the gaps? And um, and so we started praying and fasting for Toronto and New York City and Minneapolis and uh, Denver and Los Angeles, San Francisco and Seattle. And, I, and I'm probably leaving a few out there. Um, but what we've seen as we've been praying and fasting is God's leading us to pastors of peace in each of those cities. We've already got three touches lined up in Toronto. We've got one in South New Jersey, which is near New York. Um, we're talking with the Bereans about with David Coffin about doing trainings in, in Denver. Um, we, we just went and Maya and I cast vision to 125 pastors, uh, in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago that are wanting to pursue No Place Left, hosted by Epicenter Church, John Lowe. He's a pastor of peace there. Um, we're going to do three touches of training in San Francisco. So I think uh, just identifying the gaps and um, you know praying and fasting for it, and then as we go in and cast vision, I can tell the story of what God's doing in South Florida and mm. Tulsa. And you know these pastors and leaders think, okay, this is happening. Hmm. We're, we're not going to be the, the guinea pig or the experimental group. Like God's doing this. But what's true is there, there are, it seems like he's already stirring their hearts. So having this momentum going in there of having an example like a Tulsa um, just helps them have stories to pass on to other people that cast vision. So I'd say definitely 
you know, seeing no place left among the cities in North America. But the other thing that really has surprised me, Steve, and it's happened both in West Palm and Tulsa, is I mentioned it earlier, they've now got a heart for the nations. And uh, Tulsa, they, they had a vision. It had twofold. In the next 10 years, they wanted to see a thousand new disciples, and they, but they also wanted to mobilize 50 full-time missionaries to South Asia to go after unreached, unengaged people groups. This is a church of 800. I, I was just like, what? Like, I mean, the thousand disciple thing, they'll see like in a few years, that's small compared to 800,000, but mobilizing 50 full-time laborers to, in, to South Asia to go after UPGs? But that's God's heart as they're obeying the Great Commission locally. He's expanding their vision for the nations. And that's where this goes, Steve. I think we're trying to steward going after no place left here so that we can mobilize people to finish the task. That's the whole goal, Matthew 24, 14, that everyone will hear the gospel so that Jesus can come back. Well, God's opening up the, the doors and opportunities for us to do this, and we believe that can happen through the church. That the church, just like in Acts 13, the church was faithful to share the gospel locally there in Antioch, but God used them to mobilize Paul and Barnabas. And so we're just trying to, to serve as facilitators of that and catalysts for that. So the more and more we see churches engage the Great Commission locally, um, we want them to get the vision to mobilize globally so we can finish the task. What an amazing story of what God is doing in Tulsa. If you've been challenged, why don't you hop on social media and spread the word. I'm Steve Addison and this has been the Movements Podcast.